Welcome to another episode of Use Your Words Podcast. I'm Paul, joined once again with Aaron. The date of this recording is 9-14-2022. And what we're going to be doing is talking the first half, yes, the first half, of John Cooper's book, Awake and Alive to Truth. And I'm looking over, I see Aaron's note page. It's all so cute and nice and lovely and petite. And then there's yours. And then I have eight pages. That is a real live actual recording of Aaron Johnson sneezing, which still blows my mind to this wonderful day. Why are you over there kind of like, oh, man. what? I'm such a strange child. <laughs> no comment on that one. I'm not even, that was like, that was like a, a, a nice soft lob for me oh. to hit that homer. <laughs> I, yes, it was. <laughs> so... Oh man, uh, this might, we'll see how long this conversation goes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, so this is, um, again, we're going to, this is Aaron's book club. Yay. <laughs> ABCs. <laughs> the basics. The, the base. basics. Yep. Back to the basics here. Teaching Aaron how to read and oh. process and, uh, and analyze a book. Oh, no, no, just kidding. Tough. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hope you know how to read already. Well, I mean, somewhat. Okay. So, yes. Yeah, so, again, this book is called Awaken Alive to Truth by John Cooper. The subtitle is Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. And that's probably one of the largest words that they have in the entire book is what relativistic. Is not. I don't remember what the longest one is, but that's not it. <laughs> when I say biggest, I don't mean like long. No, I not mean length, like but complex. Yeah. Okay. Okay, sure, yeah. What? Yeah. You disagree yeah. with me? No, that I don't know. I don't, remember, a, I don't remember the word was that I, whatever the word was, I don't know. Marxism, predestination. Predi- <laughs> uh, well, maybe you'll find it well, as we're yeah. going through it again. Yeah. Uh, you know what pre-show means, right? Because you are a musician at heart. The pre-show? Yeah. Before the show. Good job. Oh, okay. Or, I, was or, like, or, I was like, am it, I supposed to say like, what it, the pre-show it, like, it's, what you it's do? Like, it's like the introduction. Yeah, okay. Hence why in uh, John's okay. book, is if you open it up, it, right away from his very John Cooperiness, yeah. you see A, his rock influence, and B, his Wisconsin influence. Because the first line is very, is so Wisconsin. I reached down to pick up my ball, hoping I could squeak out a spare on my second roll. Wait. He was bowling. He was bowling. Like, that's the very yeah. first sentence. <laughs> it's like rock and roll Squeak guy and very Wisconsin. Right. Just right. Right away. And, and what I liked is right away, John starts out, I honestly, in this pre-show, this intro with more substance in his book than a few other books I've read. Um, I'm not going to say the name of the one. Um <laughs> 
and there was a lot more covered ground, you know, in, mm. in in the rest of this book. But John makes it clear right away what his intentions are with his book, at least to me, yeah. by uh, his story. And his story essentially is before Skillet made a big, I think he said back in, yeah, 2011, before oh. they had done all the stuff that they had done, uh, such as, you know, what did he say? 12 million albums sold at the time of the writing of this book. He was at a post-concert event, essentially event with a bunch of record producers, the, you know, the gatekeepers, the deal breakers, all yeah. that. And, you know, someone was like, hey, John, come over. I want to introduce you to someone. And he was like, I think you can make it big, but you need to drop the Jesus act essentially you know you gotta stop talking about jesus he's like i like that you're being positive i like that you're being spiritual spiritual so hot right now again going back to that one meme uh from so hot right now spiritual so hot right now positivity so hot right now but you need to stop talking about jesus and and john goes no that's not well that's not we're gonna do that's not what you're gonna do you know he, he and he starts out the book with that he's like i could define my success through money power influence top charting songs, women, et cetera, you know, drugs, yeah. you know, whatever it is, um, you know, the flashed out, blinged out, you know, travel whatever. trailer, you know, yeah. an RV and everything. Heck yeah. But he says, ultimately, he defines success by following and loving and in his own words here, so I'm not, you know, subscribing to him something else, but not shutting up about Jesus. Everything else he could accomplish, uh, if he were to do that one thing that goes contrary to that, which is, you know, give up Christ. So he said, no, I want to continue to live for Christ. I want to continue talking about Christ. And if you've ever been to a Skillet concert, he does <laughs> all, all the time. He, 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 he will, and, and honestly, I think it's because he's like almost 50, if not 50, and he just needs a little bit of a break in the middle of the concert to catch his win. <laughs> let, you know, let the Bengay get into the joints a little. <laughs> So he's, so he's in there like giving a little speech, a little talk. Oh, I, I love John, I, I love John Cooper's concerts. So don't oh, get yeah. me wrong; I'm not yeah. like trying to bash him or no. say anything bad about him. But it's just the way life be. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so I have a question for you, Aaron. No, do you know what a gatekeeper is? Because he does talk about that in his book. He's like, I, I met with the gatekeepers. I met with them here and they and they're the ones who told me i need to do this so what's a gatekeeper i mean it's just the uh, just like the person that can why can't they say it that gets you the access to i don't know the goods i guess they let you into the rest of the or and yeah i don't know i can't say it they're the kingmakers. they're essentially the ones that can say you're allowed to come in and be successful. You're not. Yes. Yeah. So you you were on the right track. Though. Yeah. Good job. I, I was so actually simple. wondering if I was actually wondering if you would have known what that was. That's why I had a. That's why. All I asked. thanks to Ghostbusters. All thanks to Ghostbusters. <laughs> All right. Which uh, which Ghostbusters though? The first one. Okay. I didn't know if you were. Yeah. On the reboot. The, the, or the. No. <laughs> <laughs> For those who can't see Aaron's face, I almost saw him throw up for a second. I wasn't sure if it was the pizza or the soda or the Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. I wasn't 100% sure. It's all about the OGs, man. So was there anything from the... No. 
from the pre-show for you. Okay. No, I, I just found it interesting that he used the intro, the pre-show, to convey essentially the entire thesis of yeah. the book going forward, which is you can do a lot of stuff and you can be very successful mm-hmm. if you just follow your own feelings, you denounce Christ, but it's a right. lot harder to follow Christ and move forward and, and, and do and that. Still and still be able to do what he's doing now. Yep. And it may not seem like success will be there because, you know, everyone else is like, oh, do this and you'll be successful. Do this and you'll be successful. Right. And instead, he's like, no, I'm going to trust God and continue on this way. But, all right. So, we're covering the first five chapters today. So, chapter one. I'm So, how we're going to do this is I'm going to ask Aaron, first oh, off, boy. if there's anything that stuck out to him from that chapter in particular before... I then go through things that kind of stuck out to me. Because <laughs> there was a lot of stuff that stuck out to me, as Aaron can attest as he read over my notes. Uh-huh. So, Aaron, was there anything in particular that stuck out for you from... I thought it was adorable. Adorable? What was adorable? Yeah. It's how he, <laughs> how he um, gave your heart... How he gave his heart to uh, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> in the sense of my bedroom, wondering whether I had said enough. I added, "Jesus, I give you my. I give my heart to you. You are my boss." <laughs> just like, oh, oh, little John. I could just imagine it. Can you imagine it? Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, I probably can't. Okay. But uh, no, I just thought that was funny. See what what I find interesting with that, and I'll interject there, right? Yeah. Um, so the whole story is that, you know, if if you read through the book, John, as I think he said he was like four or five at this time, and to be honest, the first read of that story was a little creepy. It ends with him going, "Jesus, I give you my heart. You're my boss." But oh, I know. It, it but starts with him, that. It yeah. starts with him running down to his parents, going, "There's yeah. somebody in my room. There's somebody yeah. in my room." Have you ever done that as a kid? You know. Oh yeah. And you're like, oh, oh yeah. monsters or whatever. Yeah. And, and he goes, he goes, his mom. He goes, my mom doesn't play games. John, there's no one in your room now. Go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that sounds like my mom too, uh, if I'm being honest. But. And then he, John comes back down and goes, there's someone up there and he's staring at me and short on patience, insisting I was perfectly safe. Far said that if I knew what's good for me, I would have come down <laughs> a third time. And then he goes back up and he says, as his eyes adjust to the darkness, he looked past his feet. I saw the same figure for a third time. <laughs> that, that's, okay. That's freaky. So I, the first time I'm reading this, I'm like, what the heck is going yeah. on? Is he having like a... Before I got to the whole part, it goes of where it goes on the bottom. You need to give your heart to Jesus. Yeah. I was like, is he having a demonic um, encounter or something? <laughs> well, like yeah, I know. That was like the first thing I thought too. I was just like, there's some spooky spirit in that room. And then, nope, it's not a demonic influence or it's an intervention by God. And he goes, you need to give your heart to Jesus. And then he has, as you call the little cute moment. Yeah, the, you're my boss. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, oh uh, yeah, go ahead. No, but uh, there's like otherwise the main thing of that page that I think caught my uh, the, um, the most or my I should say my attention the most was it was pretty much like the last full paragraph 
Um, you know, I'll say eventually I'd come to know him as a friend and a father who protects and lovingly disciplines. Mm-hmm. Lovingly disciplines. Oh boy. Um, eventually I'd come to a place of total and passionate devotion to the God of the Bible. And then, but the big part was, but it didn't start that way. Yeah. Um, I guess, like, I don't know. Just in reading that, I suppose, was, I guess, is like a comforting thing. Cause it's, uh, oh, God. Cause it's like, you think about for your life and situations or whatever may be going on, and think about how your relationship with God is at the times or at the time, knowing that he didn't get to where he is today, right then and there. In the matter of in the in the mat in the moment kind of thing, like it takes time to develop that kind of a relationship still. Mm-hmm. So, and it made me think of a conversation I had had at a worship night at this lovely older couple's house for like a worship night that we used to have rather frequently. Um, but they're always talking about how like, oh, they've had younger kids come up to them. Like, oh, we want to have faith like you and stuff like that. And, blah, blah, blah. and and they're in their seventies right now. And I mean, so the kids being in their twenties and stuff like that, or even people older, but they're like, they're just, I guess, making the reminder as it's not like a sprint kind of thing. It's a marathon. It's like, you got to keep working at it. He's like, you'll get here. But it's like everyone just wants everything so immediate. I can't wait right. for it. So it was just one of those things that really popped out to me. I was like, hmm. And it was comforting to hear that. I was like, but it didn't start that way. So it's like, oh, there's still hope. There's still hope for you. Yes, <laughs> there is still hope for you, Aaron. Yeah. And, and you know, since we're at this section, you, you know, here, Personally, me at the age of five, I probably would not be wise or smart enough to even understand the concept of Christ and what he's done or to call him my boss. Right. At, at five, I, I was a pretty dense kid. I'm yeah. still pretty dense. What am I talking about? I, I'm still pretty dense and I'm not a kid anymore. But yeah. Uh, also at the time, you know, for me, yeah, I didn't have, even though my dad took us to church every Sunday and yeah. we always had to sit like separate from the rest of the church it it was weird like Mm. we never like sat in the main sanctuary we always sat in like in the small little room off to the side that was Mm. i don't know why but we did uh but beyond that you know no one talked about christ or god at home it was this was sunday now you're home yeah you know it was completely different so you know for me at five None of that would have clicked at all, if I'm being right. honest. Nothing, nothing at all. Now, I you had a slightly different upbringing with oh, yeah. you and your family. So at five, uh, were your parents doing like Bible studies, reading the Bible with you, or anything like that? Goodness, even like family, like devotional type things. I mean, as far as I guess, I'll, I will say it was more than just go to church on Sunday and then boom home. Mm-hmm. It was definitely more than that. There was definitely more uh 
there was more talk of the Bible and God and Jesus at home throughout the week. As far as to say, like little studies. At least that I was involved in, no. Okay. Well, I guess, well, yeah, definitely not studies. I can't, I can barely study now. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, definitely more like if mom was reading something or whatever, she'd share a verse or something like that or kind of thing. But that's probably about it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously a big thing, praying in the morning and. But you at least had something yes. kind of together as a family. Oh, okay. yeah. So you might have been a little bit more like John's path there if something like that happened. But mm-hmm. I, I know for me for sure, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's more that 2020 hindsight where he has kind of like this good foundation as a kid. Right. It's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. And he even admits that, right? Yep. But I think it's more that 2020 hindsight of where he has that good foundation. But he does mention that this was the cornerstone of his life. And that's why I said that 2020, you know, looking back, you can see all that. At that age, I doubt he understood that this was a cornerstone of his life, that this was stuff that was built on. But now with that wisdom and age and distance, you can look back and go, yeah, this is how this all started. Um, And I like that. And this is going back to, you know, the, even the things that I've been learning recently where Christ has to be my identity. This ties right into it. So, you know, good to know I'm not going off the reservation. Someone else is having <laughs> the same thoughts as me, um, right. even if it's John Cooper. <laughs> that sounds a pretty good thing. <laughs> hey. So was there anything else in chapter one? Because there's actually quite a bit that was covered in chapter one. I'm trying to think in, of... in this few short pages that it was. And chapter one was only nine pages, but there was yeah, still quite I, a bit. I guess I have a couple things. Or eight pages. I have a couple things still within the page numbers of chapter one. Okay. Which one of them being the laughing thing, which I pointed out last mm-hmm. time we were together. But as soon as the one paragraph, I guess, continued in it, uh, the words were, the older I get, I couldn't help but read that as soon as I... Oh, I couldn't help but sing that as soon as I started reading it. And the the melody... To the melody of the song, The Older I Get. Right. By Skillet. (laughs) And Uh, I honestly didn't even get that the first time. uh, (laughs) I I just completely read over it. But that's also probably more on how I read. Like, I read really fast. Oh, just in so slow. Like... Like I could have this whole, you know, this whole paragraph read in a few seconds, which is, so that's probably why I didn't read it and sing it because my brain was more just digesting the information, not trying to tie it all together yet. Right. Well, as soon as I, whenever I read words that flow into a lyric that I recognize right away, I just immediately go, oh, song, okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Gosh. Yeah, this verse is so frightening. Um, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not pro- prophesy, 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 that's my prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? 
And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a frightening section. Yep. And I like how he leads into that, where he says, hearing mm-hmm. and believing the truth is not enough. Mm-hmm. The one who hears claims belief, yet does not act according to his word, is precisely the kind of person Jesus, quote unquote, never knew. And he put, in that, and he yeah. put that in the quote, so that's why I say that. Yeah. Yep. Um, these are people who have built their house on the sand, and when the storms come, they will not stand strong. <sighs> yeah, that's, and I guess in reading that, I don't know. I guess like it's a good reminder to one. I mean, I have strong accountability with others, especially that claim to be believers in Christ or mm-hmm. believe not in, but of yeah, of Christ and stuff like that, and call themselves Christians. But then it's like, I guess, well, yeah, I that's the main thing I can think of as far as that goes, because it's like how heartbreaking would it be to get to that point where you come before Christ and then it's just like, yeah, if he says that to you, that's that's devastating. Yeah. And so that's it's just like that's don't. final too. Yeah, that's uh, that's over and done right there. There ain't there ain't no coming back from that. Um so that's like that definitely is a good encouragement to be well for me to think of trying to be accountable with with those around me that say they're in the same boat. Because mm-hmm. then, uh, well, yeah, and as, as time goes and as you try and keep them accountable, that that, <laughs> that will make itself more evident as whether or not they are or not. But, uh, yeah, no, that, I thought there was that, and there's, I think, another verse in Hebrews that's similar to that, where it talks about spitting, spitting someone out. Uh, speeding those out, someone that's lukewarm out. He'd rather you be hot or cold yeah, than lukewarm. lukewarm. Yep. <laughs> Terrifying. Yep. Terrifying verse. Anything else in chapter one? Yeah. You want me to keep going? All right. Well, I'll I don't know going. if you got okay. other stuff in chapter one. Well, now I also have on page 19 here, and the uh, quotes uh, what I have written down is doesn't she has a question about. But then I think I, I had maybe I answered my question after after a while of writing that down. But he, so okay, consider the pastor or and then this is what I was like or influencer who claims to follow Jesus when it's convenient or beneficial, but refuses to follow him when it is unpopular. And then that's where I was like I I wasn't sure I was like was he talking about. Um, the female pastors in this little snippet or whatever, because then he says, "Doesn't she second guess herself?" I was like, "Oh, yeah." I think the wording is just a little, yeah, funky. but so I was just like, "Oh," but then, yeah, nah. So that's nothing. Um, <laughs> I had and I thought, man, I wish. Oh, good old, good old uh, bartender from back in the day. She ever listened to this, or she even knows this happens, because I, I I wrote uh for just like this last paragraph was fuego, and that made me think of the good old nights when we'd go and she'd always scream fuego when we'd come over to the bar. 
But <laughs> okay. <laughs> see, my mind goes so. What 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 what, what paragraph are you talking but the, about? The, so the paragraph it's at the bottom of nineteen. It's all of us have sinned. So I use these examples not to cast stones at others, but rather to bring freedom. Which I thought that was really cool. Um. Uh, I guess too many times I never think about bringing freedom um and like correcting a fellow brother or sister and something mm-hmm. i always have just for the most part always looked at it as like oh you're gonna bring them down they're gonna feel bad and stuff and then but eventually it'll get better and i never thought about that as bring like bringing freedom to that person and doing what's right in the eyes of Christ, kind of thing. Yeah, and and there there are proper ways to do that too. Oh no, yes. Th- oh, absolutely. This isn't, and, and he doesn't say it in here, so I'm, you know, we're not putting mm-hmm. words in his mouth or anything. But there's ways to approach a brother or sister and say, "Hey, what you're doing is wrong. Maybe you need to think about this." For example, I'm mm-hmm. gonna um, uh, Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago, you know, when. Or was last week? It was last what? week? No, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm uh, just trying to play you, dumb right now. Uh, you know, when yeah. I had noticed, you know, that you were, yeah, using some language, Ex- it, and it wasn't a, hey, Aaron, you need to stop you need this. To freaking knock this off right now, or it, else. It was, hey, you know, I've noticed that yeah. you've been doing this. Yeah, I'd like to challenge you on that. It wasn't a. You need to stop this now and repent, or otherwise you did. Because if I had done that, what would your reaction have been? You probably would have been a little more resistant than. Yeah, probably. Now, me and you, we've built up enough of a rapport over time yeah. where maybe you wouldn't, but it's. Or well, like that first, and that's like maybe that first initial like reaction I've been like, like aggravated. Right. But then it's one of the, I mean, I guess we'll, we'll probably talk, we'll talk about later as far as like emotions and stuff go. But it's one of those things where it's like, all right, take a step back, think about it, and try and, I guess, really get a grasp on things instead of just having that immediate, like, oh, I'm doing something wrong, where get right. pissed off kind of thing. Yeah. And like I said, there, there's ways to approach it so that way oh, yeah. you're not causing. No extra strife um, or extra right. barriers for things to be able yeah. to be resolved. But to some point, I, be direct. Well, yeah. Be direct. Yeah. But you can be direct in a loving way. Yes. Or you can be direct, be direct in, in a jerk way. Yes. Yeah. And if you're, but even being di- uh, direct in a loving way can still bring it. Can a still good it can amount st- of it can still uh, cause consternation on the other person's part. Like that word. <laughs> you don't like that word? It was too big for me. <laughs> Do you know what consternation means? I'm guessing it's like conflict or something. Yeah, like a little bit of anger, a yeah. little bit of disagreement yeah. in that. So right. even saying in a loving way can cause that consternation. But if I was to just be off right as a jerk, it, it would oh, definitely yeah. cause it to be a conflict there, whether you express that to me or not. And, right. and it might build up a little resistance to you being able to do that. And, and we're told in the Bible to lovingly and gently bring our brothers and sisters back. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and bring them back, 
to repentance. Yeah. Um, not that you know we're able to do anything ourselves, but to kind of be with them on that journey backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- that's why. Yeah. I just wanted to add that in. Oh no, absolutely. Finish the paragraph because apparently I like the whole paragraph so much. Um. So after bringing uh, to bring freedom, when you know when you know the truth of God's word, but do not follow through, that truth becomes a source of judgment. This is why so many self-professed followers of Jesus have become disillusioned. Some have become utterly miserable. Again, oh, and then it goes into what this guy Matthew Henry says. Oh, Matthew uh, Henry. Yeah, what a, what, a, what, a, what a guy. He has a commentary on the whole Bible, if you didn't know that. Oh, I'm sure he does. Matthew Henry's good. I did not know that, but yeah, I believe. And, and I like that quote there from Henry. Yeah. If our hearing be not the means of our obedience, it will be the aggravation of our disobedience. Mm. Those who only hear Christ's sayings and do not and do them not sit down in the midway to heaven, and that will never bring them to their journey's end. They are akin to Christ only by the half blood, and our law allows so not such to inherit. Yeah. And and I look at it and I'm like, man, the, by the half blood, you know, people nowadays are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and that kind of goes back to some of those more, um, that medieval time where, or me and, <laughs> or me and the guy joking around in the, in my game mm. goes, oh, you're a half breed. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You, you're not, uh-huh. you're not fully washed. You're not fully yeah. Of Christ, you know, you're not fully redeemed. You're only half, and we know because God says He's holy. Mm-hmm. That still only half is not going to cut it. You're, you're that's still going to let that sin show through. Yeah. yeah. So there was that for me. Uh, a couple other things that I kind of hit on, and, mm-hmm. and and maybe and this is just because of me, right? Yeah. You know, so all the way back. It was near the beginning of this chapter, so page yeah. 15. Whoa. Well, end 14, Whoa. start of 15, John talks about losing his mother when he was yes. only 14 years old. Now, I can relate to that fully because, yep. you know, I lost my dad when I was 14 to cancer. Um, yeah. Unlike John, though, he he was a lot more grounded in his faith. I was actually just starting my faith journey at that time. Mm. Um, it only been saved six months at that oh, point geez. when my dad had passed oh. if not if six months in my because depending on when it was in june but i don't remember exact dates yeah. i'm not one of those who can go on june oh, blah blah God. blah yeah i well you could easily you easily would know that that is not me either hmm. well yeah i know <laughs> that's because you could forget what you just saw two seconds ago I know. <laughs> John was a lot more grounded in his thing because, you know, he's going, you know, Jesus, you are my boss, you're my savior, but it'd be all right if I could know you as a friend. A lot more grounded than I was. That wouldn't come for me for many, 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 many years later um, for that, you know, where I would finally understand the concept that God could be a father figure for me and, or in my case, a literal father, um, as well as a friend, but also my savior. It, that, mm. like, that was end of my college career where that finally clicked in my head mm. or started clicking, I should say. It didn't click fully. It took some time still. 
yeah. you know. So I'm like, man, John's a lot more grounded than me than I could. And I have to stop myself from comparing myself to him because I'm like, nope, nope, nope. We're all on our different paths and our own right. different journeys. Right. John, you know, kind of had a little head start because he was grounded right away from the beginning. He talked about how his mom was always talking about God and that. So he kind of had that head start. He had that good foundation going there. So I'm like, all right, whatever. Cool. I don't know, and you don't know John personally, so I can only surmise based on what I see, what I read in this book, or yeah. seen in concerts and all that. Yeah. But he does seem to be fairly grounded with his theology. With, and I'm saying that more than just this book. I'm I'm talking about mm-hmm. you know his podcast stuff, his Cooper's concert cool. stuff, and everything else that goes on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't think he has like a PhD or anything like that. But you know, I appreciate it coming from a layman's point of view on these things because guess what? Right. I'm a layman as well. You're a layman as well. I'm, I'm something. <laughs> Do you know what a layman is? A layman, layman. Yeah, a layman. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you compare it to a dude with like a PhD or whatever, you're, we're just like the little guy. Yeah, you're the average Joe. Yeah. 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 In a church context setting, a layman is like the average churchgoer, right? Not the, the pastor person, or people in the pews kind of thing. Exactly. Well, yeah. No, exactly. People in the pews. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying I'm something. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, That's true. And then on page 17, yeah, he talks about stretching. You know, how yeah. he, he didn't like he didn't like his high school athletic coach uh, doing stretching. But yeah. I, I like how he's summarizing this. Mm-hmm. What's true of stretching is true of obeying God's word. If you do it, even when it seems to be boring or uncomfortable, you'll be stronger, happier, mm. and more fulfilled. You know, and he goes, oh, this is how I can go around on my stage and concerts and all that. And uh, again, me secretly thinking Ben Gay as well. It's probably in there. <laughs> so that that was the other thing that I, I picked up. And then I also picked up on the whole thing on 19 where you read that paragraph, all of us have sinned, so I use examples not to cast stones at others, but rather to bring freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I also like this. It must be noted, of course, that this scripture, and this scripture is referring back to Matthew 7, 21 through 23, which you had read earlier, right? Yep. Does not mean that salvation is dependent upon us per- perfectly obeying God's word. That's impossible. Yep. No one has managed that since the dawn of mankind. That said, simply acknowledging Jesus' truth is not the same as trusting in Jesus. In fact, for many believing Jesus' word without acting on them, this often leads to more frustration and confusion. Then he goes, what do I mean? Then he gives some examples there. Consider the businessman who knows Jesus' teaching about integrity, but shades the truth to increase profits. Will be he ultimately be satisfied with his wealth? Consider the porn addict who knows Jesus' commands about lust, but cannot seem to quit. Isn't he followed by shame? And then the one that you read, consider the pastor or influencer who claims to follow Jesus when it's convenient or beneficial, but refuses to follow him when it is unpopular, doesn't. Don't they second-guess yeah. themselves? He says, doesn't she get second-guess herself? And in other words, what he's getting at is, you know what the right thing is, but you do what's convenient at the time, and then afterwards you're like, well, was that the right thing? Right. And which, I guess, yeah, that... Um, unless, well, is it you got more on chapter one? Nope. Oh. Because oh, that totally leads me into... Oh yeah, it is literally the next chapter in the next chapter. But the whole like grit, 
the oh your truth my truth the truth kind of thing and where he tells that story about uh missing practice or whatever and having a great his his truth or the truth that was more convenient at the time for him to help him get by kind of thing mm-hmm. or he calls it the greater truth the greater truth yeah he, or he's he says yeah the greater to truth was the one i felt yeah yeah which that's pretty much isn't it? Yeah, that's at like the beginning of it. Yeah, that's yeah. right away at the beginning Literally of the beginning the, of the chapter. One of the phrases that kind of struck out to me mm-hmm. in, right away at the start of this chapter was the phrase shame seems to have a kind of immortality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It comes back. It it just never seems to die. I think he kind of um made it like a like a Friday the 13th movie, I, yeah. I believe it was. Yeah, Friday the 13th, yep. just when you think he's dead, Jason, he comes back to haunt you, and then hashtag well, shame lives again. Yeah. And I, and I, me personally, yeah, that's true. I, I, I can definitely relate to that, where things that I have done in my past always seem to come back up at the least opportune time let's say we'll put it that way yeah. <laughs> when you're like i why not and, now <laughs> and all that shame and all that guilt just seems to come Pile back you know and, and there's healthy ways to deal with that and i'm learning how to do that properly yeah. but it is that thing that just likes to rear its ugly head whenever it whenever it gets its chance yeah especially to really Get you stumbling on your feet, and at a time when you're got so much going on, I'm just cause, man, because I know you're talking about how like you know you you've got well you're having that happen and stuff like that. Yes, yeah. I haven't had anything yet, but now I'm <laughs> in this. In these terms, it does definitely make me nervous for the future because I can see that starting to ha- like the possibility of that happening a lot more now in the future. Ugh. Yeah, and and to be honest, those are things that as you get older, yeah, and you have more of these things that you've done, you know, and some of these things are going to come back up and just bring that shame just right back. You know, and even John says, you know, the fact that he used his mother's death as a cheap excuse to get out of trouble says, even as I write this, those old emotions wash over me. Right. Shame seems to have the kind of immortality. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, that, really I mean, there's stuff that I did when I was 15, 16. Yeah. That man, that shame. It, it, you know, especially if I'm, busy with something and all of a sudden that memory just comes out of nowhere and i'm like oh dang i did do that (laughs) and that that happened yep and that shame just comes right back and i'm like man yeah like what the heck i'm like okay i understand now this is an attack from the enemy but at the same time i have to acknowledge that is something that i had done and it's one of those things of where i have to eventually and it's not easy i'm not saying it's easy it's easier to say it than do it 
but eventually I will need to kind of just, you know, get over it, so to speak. I'll need to stop worrying so much about it or let it be something that I dwell on. And that if those memories do come up, it's like, yep, I did it. All right, moving on. What's next? Yeah, much easier said than done. (laughs) Oh, yeah, very much so. This is like one of the things about like reading this book so far is like, I guess it's probably more so this chapter. Well, clearly, because I didn't write anything down. But uh, like I've been enjoying reading this one so much to the point where I almost forget to jot stuff down. So I'm just like, wow, that's really good. Wow, that's really good. And it's just like, if I were to take a lot of notes, I'd just... Oh, and see, it's basically just be writing the book back out. <laughs> this was my second time going through this book because oh, I've already yeah. read this all the way through once. You did up at Life Fest that's last right. year, so that's why, it, especially if you notice our copies of the book, mine is a lot more mangled yeah. than than yours. Yours is very. Uh, well, I like to keep it all nice and neat. See, whereas I just like fold it fold all the it. way over. <laughs> and if you open mine up to the uh, pre-show area, there, yeah, there's, there's, just, the, there's the glue right yeah, there. Yep. So, it's coming apart. So yeah, I do have a lot of notes on chapter two because there's actually a lot that's covered here in chapter two that's very, there is. A very foundational for the rest of this book. So going on here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, take it away. Page 24. This is where it starts getting meaty. This is where he starts talking about the versions of truth. Mm-hmm. And of course, he has to use something that occurred really recently in our history, the confirmation hearing of Brett Kavanaugh. So during the confirmation hearing of uh, Brett Kavanaugh, there was an allegation by Christine Blasey Ford about a sexual assault allegation against him that apparently occurred 26 years earlier prior to the confirmation hearings occurring in the Senate. Now, what was, and you can debate this whole thing over and over again. You know, there's still people that say Kavanaugh should be impeached because Blasey Ford uh, allegation was true in that, you know, but there are certain facts about this that we do know. First off, she didn't know the date that it happened or the year even. So that's why it was about 26 years. You know, yes. give give or take a few years, right? Mm-hmm. She claimed it took place at a party, but no one else remembers it. All this happening, right? And I like what John says. He says, for the purpose of this discussion, it's not actually relevant if this happened or not. What is relevant is that it was the first time I watched, and I, John, watched national leaders state we must believe her truth. It's it's interesting that this is the first time that he heard it. I've been I had heard it like before this, mm. and th- this is where he starts going her truth. He goes, what does it mean by her truth? What's 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 this doing? What's what's going on here? And we'll we'll get more into that. But essentially, this is that intersectionality going on. So rather than appealing to facts, evidence, or trial, her truth appeals to a greater sense of how women have historically been mistreated. So as a woman who is inherently a victim of the patriarchy. And secondly, as an alleged victim of sexual abuse, she has access to a higher level of truth than a man. I like how he summarizes it there. Yeah. And I love how he goes, this book isn't political. I'm like, sorry, John, you just stuck well, into a political <laughs> landmine. With it's not the, his main focus. It, then as, it's not his main focus. No, but it gets there. 
I could give this to certain people at my work and they would oh they, they would flip they would blow a f- fuse yeah yeah I'm not gonna say anything else <laughs> <laughs> but I mean he does I, I mean well I guess it was talking obviously yeah talking about a political issue but then he did talk later about whether well you know there's people that believe her there's people that believe him and it's just it doesn't matter whatever right and because it happened 26 years ago or so right there's only so much you can do with that we're never we're never going to know the full truth because yeah she when i say she i mean christine blasey ford is going to continue to claim that it happened Mm-hmm. Kavanaugh and you know the people continue to say it didn't happen, so we're never going to know fully what happened until someone invents a time machine and goes back there. Okay, we may never find out that full answer. Yep. But what I'd like then is he lead, uses that to lead into the fact of this: society has moved away from believing in an absolute truth that they believe in, be it Christian or not, to the idea that there is no objective truth now. You know what objective means, correct? I can't I can't put it into words. But do you know what it Wait. If Hold something up. is objective, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. That means there there's absolute facts about it. So objectively Ob- objectively, right? Yeah. This roadcaster here. The base color is black. Yeah. Objectively, this is a table. Yeah. Objectively, you made 26 straps or you made zero. You know, you you, you can count them. Yeah. There's actual facts. Subjective is how you feel about something. I feel hurt. I feel this. I feel that. So in other words, what John is pointing out and which is true, this is something I have seen personally in culture as it's changed over the years, that we have moved from being an objective truth-based society to a subjective truth-based society because there is no such thing as objective truth is what they say. And when I say they, I'm talking like society at general. I'm talking about teachers, professors, and all that. So, you know, John makes that claim. And then... On the next page, he starts saying, okay, let's look at some of the philosophies that make up the modern era nowadays. And he he starts to say what they are. And he tries to do it in as simplistic of terms as possible. Now, these are not college-level definitions of these terms, uh, of these philosophies, but hopefully for the average person, the average layman, they should be able to comprehend what's going on. So postmodernism, that's philosophy number one they tackles, right? Postmodernism boils down to two things. There's no objective truth, as well as nothing can be objectively false. That's point one. Point two, there's no objective morals. Everything, again, is subjective. Does that make sense to you? Yes. No, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Philosophy number two, he talks about relativism. Relativism is close to postmodernism. They are like kissing cousins. You know, if we were down south. (laughs) (laughs) So relativism says, while there is no absolute truth, there are different versions of the truth depending on the social and cultural context in which the truth exists. 
In other words, what may be fine in one culture may be bad in a different culture. Well, see, like that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But as far as the the truth being different, so so you know that is true for certain things like let's say language right okay yeah small things small things right but what happens if we talk about stuff like i'm I'm gonna throw out an example right like sacrifice of virgins in one culture you know they might see that as murder but in our culture, they may see that as necessary to appease their gods. Right. And therefore, it's a good and righteous and holy thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you have all those things. You know, it, that's also some of the issues of where we take our modern way of thinking and try to apply that to old school archaeolog- archaeological findings and all that. Right. You know, so... Relativism, yes, in, in certain contexts with language, language is that it's fine, but yeah. when you start doing things that are like murder or homosexuality or stuff like that, mm. things start changing because then you can say, well, this culture is fine, but this culture it isn't. Da, 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 da. That's what leads you to the whole th- idea of, well, whatever you want to do is fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then this is the other part of relativism. It can be true for now or more true for someone else than something else. In other words, something can be true and good now, but five years later, that same thing is yeah. is bad. Or it could be okay for you, but not for me. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Seen plenty of that. <laughs> oh, really now? Rules for me, not for thee. Okay. <laughs> yep. Or rules for thee, not for, for me. me. Yeah, so my question, you know, that I was left with and John's left with as well is, who decides what is true for what period of time and in what culture? Who's the arbiter of truth at that point? Whoever's an author, the authoritative figure. It's, to be honest, it's whoever's feelings are the most loudly expressed on, Yeah. well, well for now, it's on Twitter. <laughs> right. The whole, as you have said many times before, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yep. And then, so he continues down that path and, in, in, you know, combining them and looking at our current culture. Mm-hmm. And I like this. Identity politics. You know what identity politics is? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's the whole thing of what we identify as. Exactly. Yeah. Whether you're gay, straight, yeah. white, brown have a little melanin, a lot of melanin. Uh, no melanin. <laughs> no melanin. <laughs> uh, fat, skinny. Right. You know, all those things. Yeah. Man, woman, cisgendered, non-cisgendered, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Yeah. It goes, identity politics, all that, yep. is a result of postmodernism and relativism. <sighs> and he calls it one of their, what's he called it? Their... Ugly stepchildren. <laughs> yeah. He calls it the ugly stepchildren of post of postmodern yeah. thought. Yeah. Which I'm like, I yeah. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love this statement right here. Unbeknownst to many of us, the philosophies of relativism and postmodernism 
postmodernism have become the bedrock of modern cultures beyond truth. In other words, that's the lens through which we view what is true and what isn't true. Or as my school would have taught me, this is what the world's worldview is. And that's why, you know, when I went to college, they're like, you need to have a Christ-centered worldview because the rest of it is going to change and be crazy as you go on. I got that right. Yeah. And he goes on and talks about a few other things in here, you know, and he lo- he loves to ask this question. Do you agree that people seem more divided today than 10 years ago, 20 years ago? In an era of tolerance and self-proclaimed love, why are we getting angrier? Yeah. One big reason is because we no longer have common ground in the truth. Yeah. I mean, that... <laughs> I mean, going back to that, um, that video of the movie we watched or the... Oh, Matt, Matt, Matt Walsh. Walsh was asking that, was was he a professor or whatever of the school? And as soon as he brings up truth, that truth is a word that is rude and uh, offensive and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, there can't be any truth if that's how it makes you feel. Yeah, so yeah definitely. I mean, yeah, it's just no surprise that there'd be so much division and chaos. Well, it only gets even worse from there. Yeah. Because then John goes on and goes, hey, now let's look at postmodernism and how it then ties in with Marxism and how these then intersect and interact with one another, right? So I know I'm opening a can of worms here. Yeah. What do you know about Marxism? I would say whatever I read in that, but now I don't remember what I read at the moment. So nothing really. Okay, so you know nothing about Marxism? <laughs> I've heard it a lot, but I don't know any like backstory behind it or any of that stuff. Okay. I mean, and, and to be fair... If you hear about stuff, you should probably know what it means a little bit. Yeah. 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 So Marx... I can't remember the last time I've ever heard the word Marxism besides reading it, though. Oh, yeah. I hear it all the time, and depending on the news source you listen to. Mm. So, all right. Let me get you yeah. the, I guess you could say, the dictionary definition, yeah, and then the applied theory version of it okay marxism is the political and economic theories of Karl marx and frederick Engels, later developed by their followers to form the basis for the theory of practice of communism essentially marxism when you break it down to practical reality is kind of that belief of the struggle of power the oppressed and the oppressors okay so you have on one side postmodernism there's no such thing as truth Right? Yep. But then you bring in Marxism, and this is where it gets fun. I'm just going to read this. It's at the bottom of 28. Postmodernists disbelieve in absolute reality. Therefore, how can we all experience a version of reality together? Put another way, whose reality wins? 
Is it the rich person's reality or the poor person's reality? The man's reality or the woman's reality? If everything in the universe is based on the struggle for power, then our perceived reality is determined by the powerful. In this mode of thinking, truth, subjective, relative truth, is determined by those who rule. The Marxist influence in postmodernism aims to heighten the voice of the minority, the oppressed, and silence the voice of the majority, the oppressors, to achieve cultural revolution. Who are the oppressed? Every identity group that is not white, male, straight, cisgendered, and Christian. If the powerless can achieve revolution, then they can literally change truth and reality. This is what they call intersectionality. So in other words, and I forgot who, there was a web skit online. They they called it the privilege point game. So the straight white guy, he started all the way at the top of the tower, right? Because obviously he's more privileged and has more powerful, right? Yeah, supposedly. And then as they're going through it, what happens is, you know, the... African-American lady, she gets to play her privilege cards because, you know, she needs to be given more points to be brought up in, in, in equal power. And eventually what it comes down to when you watch the whole skit is that everyone is basically wiped out because you're, you're always fighting amongst each other to jostle each other up to be the one on top because you, you're the most oppressed. So therefore you need more points. You need more power. You need more mm-hmm. privilege and everything. And that's what he's getting at here as well. He's saying, hey, if you're the oppressor, so Aaron, you are the total oppressor right here because you're white, male, straight, cisgendered Christian. Top of the food chain, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but what? But according to this, you should, yeah. you know, you should be giving up your power for yeah. everybody else. Everybody else yep. thing. So that that's where this intersectionality is where intersectionality claims that identity groups that have long-held power, you, have a certain kind of privilege. The marginalized groups and disadvantaged are the victims of the privilege. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you victimize the Mexicans. Yep. As a result, those who ascribe to intersectional view believe society has collectively and unjustly interpreted reality through the lens of the privileged and the powerful. In other words, if you've heard the phrase, uh, the victors write history, that's why. The rich white man, Aaron, rewrites history in his favor. Yep. And therefore, if me, the Mexican, rises up to power, I then rewrite history in my favor. Again, truth is subjective, not objective in this reality framework. Oh, how frustrating is that? (laughs) Really makes you question history books. (laughs) I know. Well, it's like you can't have history books if that's oh, man. Yeah. Oh. And then he goes on and says, okay, we got this in, in society as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. And now he's like, well, let's look at how this has infiltrated the church. Mm. Yeah. And then you start going through some of those things where he starts pointing out how relativism has kind of come into the church as well. For example, there's mm-hmm. people who believe that only those who deal with a certain sin can talk about that sin. Yeah, which I guess yeah, I had I had thoughts on that. Okay, what are your thoughts? Um, 
No. I guess my thoughts are no. Okay. To where anybody can talk about it. <laughs> yes. But no, I would I would say there is a there is a point, depending on what it is, it helps to hear from someone that has struggled with whatever it is you're struggling with. That it does help, but can someone that doesn't necessarily struggle with that sin not have any say or talk about it? No. I wouldn't want to say that, you know, someone couldn't be of any help if they don't struggle with the sin. Examples like, I guess when you bring it, come into the topic of pornography, let's say there's a guy that literally does not struggle with it. Lucky man. Yeah, right. I would, uh-huh. I would like to. How did you pull that off? Yeah, no, I, I said <laughs> either, either two things. Either he's lying right, or right. he's the second coming and we just don't know it. <laughs> well, I'll say nine times out of 10, I'd, I'd imagine every, well, yeah, nine out of 10 guys would say he's a liar. If he doesn't, if he. But regardless, it. let's yeah. say you find someone. Yeah. Could they talk about it? Talk to me about it? Of course they could. And I'm sure, that, I mean, they could talk about ways to. I, I mean, I'm sure, you know, the temptation would be there. Right. I would imagine as. Yeah. Anywho. So, like, maybe he's got his own ways that have helped him. Stay away from it. But I guess as far as, I guess like when it comes to trying to deal and fight a sin, I mean, the best thing is just not to do it. <laughs> but it's sometimes it's like, how do you go about not doing it? So that's why I say it's like hearing from someone that does struggle with it helps more. And it's easier to be more open and honest about that kind of stuff too with someone that does struggle with something that you are struggling with. Right. It- but... And I like how John points this out on 31. He's like, well, if that's the argument in the the standard that you're going for, where mm-hmm. only someone who has dealt with that issue can speak on that issue. Right. He goes, well, then you just excluded Jesus from being able to speak on any issue. Right, because he never sinned at all. Right. He yeah. was tempted, but yeah. didn't sin. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, they can you can definitely talk about it. It just, times it can be a little more helpful to talk to someone that has gone through it. Right. And, and with that, you know, he goes... I would argue, therefore, that it is not our former bondage to sin or ident or I or our identities. Mm-hmm. There's a or our yeah. <laughs> identities that make us adequate to preach truth. It is the Spirit of God alone who equips us with an understanding of Scripture and the anointing to speak truth to the hurting. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that yeah that that breaks it down right there. Yeah. It does. I like that because he does talk about how, you know, as you're looking at the current church, there's a lot of people who, you know, are leaving the church because they're like, well, I don't like how the church is treating, pick an identity group. Yeah. You know, uh, people who are gay or people who are poor or whatever it be, you know. It's like, okay, yes, there's adequate criticism uh, for how the church has treated some people in the past and even recent, but at the same time, when it comes down to it, truth is truth regardless of how we feel. 
Yeah. Uh, ben Shapiro likes to always oh, say. Facts don't care about the feelings. Yep. And the Bible does, you know, the Bible isn't so concerned about that either. The Bible is concerned about being, this is how you be holy. This is how you live holy. This is the truth on this matter. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, yeah, that that is, yeah. that is true. And I like what he says here on 31 here. He says, truth is revealed by God and God alone. The identity you belong to, the color of your skin, your gender, or your economic status cannot be a prerequisite for understanding the truth. And then that's where he says, whether you are a proletariat or a Borzi, however you say it, Borzi. I do, I do. Um, that's the, the oppressors or the oppressed. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't grant you access to truth. Truth, virtue, and righteousness are defined by God and God alone. And then he goes on and, you know, talks, hey, Jesus is the truth. The truth is in Jesus. And just breaks that down in clear, plain language. And I like that, that he ends the chapter with that. Never thought a rock star could be like this. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. No, I shouldn't say that. And then, so we end with that, and then we get to chapter three. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, indeed, Aaron. Oh, boy, indeed. Well, this is the end of part one of John Cooper's book, Awaken Alive to Truth. Part two will be coming out later, and then parts three, and depending on how the conversation goes even, maybe even part four. This was originally intended to be a two-parter, but just the length of the conversation that then continues from this point on for the rest of the first half of the book, we just decided to go ahead and break it up into two separate segments. The next part will be chapters three through five of John Cooper's book, Awaken Alive. Thank you for joining us this time and hope to see you again.